Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It, it might be a beautiful game, Kieran, but it's it's about half past eight on Valentine's night and how are you and I spending it? We're spending it together doing a football finance podcast, Kieran. It's, something's gone, the magic's gone out of our lives somehow, Kieran. Not, it's always a pleasure to be in your company, of course, but just not in these circumstances, Kieran. Absolutely. Absolutely, um, and and our friend Tracy Crouch, she's she's retiring from being an MP. So what's she yes. going to do next? Is she, is she going to take over Palace? Do you think, or what? Who knows? Well, I I don't know what Tracy Crouch is going to do next, Kieran. But I suspect the Baroness wouldn't be too happy that the first thing you say after I mention Valentine's and I is Tracy Crouch's name. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No. I've, I've I've sent her our best wishes uh, for the future. Yes. Of course. Yes. Of, of, um, uh, absolutely. We send our very best wishes to Tracy. Uh, you're in a hotel at the moment, I believe, Kieran. Is that right? An hotel, as one should say. Where whereabouts in the country are you? Um. To tonight, I am in Liverpool. Last night, I was. Uh, in Burton on Trent because I've been teaching football managers all day long, um, and then I had the. As you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of trains, but uh, even by my standards, it was challenging doing Burton to Tamworth, Tamworth to Crew, Crew to Liverpool on Valentine's evening. That is Mr. Romance, isn't it? It uh, sounds like an old musical song. Oh, Mr. Port. Never mind, let's look into that. Yeah, as it is Valentine's night, our regular listeners will be reassured to know that I've lined up a bottle of wine for myself. So that's, that's as romantic as it's getting, Kieran. So <laughs> it's, it's Newsday, Kieran. Um, uh, and as usual, we have a, a, a wide-ranging uh, spread of news stories. Um, our, our good friends at the new pod, Price of Music, will... We'll be pleased to hear that two of our stories later on, Kieran, involve involve <laughs> uh, music bands at different ends of the spectrum. Um, we have all sorts of stories, but our first five stories tonight, Kieran, all involve the Premier League. Um, and the first one is the Premier League and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Yes, so we've been waiting for white smoke to, to rise up from Premier League towers. And the good news from I think from the perspective of Manchester United fans, is that his proposal to buy 25% of A, the shares of the Glazers, but B, shares from private shareholders has been approved. Um, Everton fans will be going, hold on, he, he, he came in this quite late and he seems to have been approved quite quickly. Why is that when we're still hanging around waiting for 777? Well, uh, I think it's something to do with the fact that uh, he was able to show the Premier League that he said he had about £4.4 billion or billion dollars just sitting in a bank account, not doing very much. And that's quite persuasive in terms of the key issues. Clearly, he doesn't have any outstanding convictions. Um, does he have the resources? Yes. Um, where the resources come from? He said, well, I'm Mr. Ineos and just take a look at our accounts. Um, whereas 777 are at the 
other end of the spectrum when it comes to being able to demonstrate those particular facets. So it looks as if um, he'll be able to put sort of formal boots on the ground, clearly sort of informally. He's uh, been to Old Trafford. He's spoken to staff. Um, there's been the appointment of the new chief executive. It looks as if his share offer was was accepted by more than 25% of shareholders in the uh, in the A shares. Um, so because that was over accepted, he's, he'll have to scale back. So if perhaps he was going to go and buy 500 shares from, from person A, that might be scaled back to say 420 and so on. But I think from Manchester United fans' point of view, they seem to uh, have a bit of faith in him. He's got $300 million in another pot, which he's going to allocate to the club. Ideally, I think that should be going on infrastructure, both for fans in terms of the stadium and and elsewhere in terms of facilities to to have an elite uh, playing environment. Yes, I, I have very clear memories, Kieran, of the headmaster at my old school saying, now, remember, boys, white smoke from the Vatican could mean the kitchen's on fire. Um, <laughs> and this that's an analogy I've waited 50-odd years to get to use, Kieran, because it means nothing outside the confines of a Catholic grammar school. Is there a minimum, Kieran, uh, that you invest before you don't need approval from the Premier League? So if Sir Jim Ratcliffe was buying a 10%, 12% stake, would that still need, would that still have needed clearance from the Premier League? I think the threshold is 9.9. So you can go up to 9.9 privately and anything beyond that, um, you have to have to be able to demonstrate uh, a little bit more in terms of your background. So, so the Premier League are taking uh, a more forensic approach as far as uh, their relationship with clubs is concerned. And that's got to be applauded because we, we don't want ne'er-do-wells coming into the beautiful game. Um, and there certainly have been some people who have been knocked back. Uh, you know, we, we know in terms of Sheffield United, for example, uh, was it Dozy and Wozy? He uh, he was subsequently up on a few charges from the FBI for for various uh, misdemeanors. Uh, so you know it's it's bullets dodged uh, thanks to uh, and the the EFL as well. Both both the bodies who who you know we we don't always give a uh, an easy time to, but on these these occasions, I think they've done the right thing. Yeah, not implying in any way, Kieran, that seven 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 are ne'er do wells. No, sorry, Bob. That's yes, not our not. job. Um, we talk here a lot about the accounts of prem. <laughs> yes, we we talk a lot about the accounts of Premier League clubs, hmm. but it's never actually occurred to me to talk about the accounts of the Premier League itself. And until such time as it uh, crops up and guys script, <laughs> which has probably been inspired by my Twitter feed. Um, you, you don't have any interest in this because you've got a well-rounded personality and a life <laughs> and I don't possess either of those so therefore it's on it's on my list of companies house uh klaxon uh, cl- noises so the premier league have have published their accounts for 2013 and what we've seen is positive uh the the revenue the income is up 13% about 3 and a half billion pounds and that's practically all due to the new international TV rights that are coming on stream. 
So we've got new deals in the USA, new deals for Scandinavia and so on. The Premier League has also been partnering with uh, official brands, which have contributed as well. We're flatlining as far as the money coming from Sky and TNT are concerned. So that's that's all good. Um, staff numbers are up. They're up by around about 40 compared to the previous year. Um, I, I suspect it could be because the Premier League has bought a couple of new photocopiers and it's working its way through all of the 115 charges and all of the piece of paper that have to go as evidence for them. Because we saw with Everton, in respect of their charges, there were 40,000 documents submitted by both parties. And that was just on one charge. So heaven forbid how many pieces of documentation the Premier League's going to need for 115 charges. So the... It, it, well, it's jobs. Yeah, we're, we're in favour of jobs, so, so that's good. Um, the Premier League's wage bill is 36 million quid. And if you contrast that to the EFL, the EFL run itself for 72 clubs for £8 million. The Premier League club, looking after 20 clubs, £36 million. And the SPFL, who are running, what was it, 44, 46 clubs, do it for £2 million. So... Um, it is a uh, it, it is a different beast, um, it, and it has clearly more gl- global footprint to have to deal with. The other thing that I picked up was that they had over a billion pounds sitting in a bank account at the thirty first of July, and then you go in. Well, they've got all of this money sitting in that bank account, and yet they still can't pay up the EFL with the sort of the you know the the, hand, the, the semi handshake deal that they had in terms of what well, we we've not got the regulator or a signed off deal yet but we are going to as a as a goodwill gesture going to give you some money for 23 24 so yeah, that the optics you know and we 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 talk about the optics the optics don't look too clever in respect of that hmm. uh, it's very kind of you to say Kieran that I have a a well-rounded personality and an actual life in reality, Kieran, it's halfway through Valentine's night, and I'm staring at you, and a near empty bottle of wine. So that does, that doesn't reek of well-rounded personality and actual <laughs> life, to be perfectly honest. Um, although I suspect, having met quite a few of our listeners recently in the live show, that many of them are listening in similar circumstances. <laughs> um, two questions off the back of that, Kieran. You talk about salaries that the Premier League are paying. Do it, does that include? Do we know how much the CEO of the Premier League? is receiving annually and secondly that that one billion pound you say is sitting in a bank presumably that's that one billion pounds should be divided by 20 is, is that one billion pounds that the clubs have earned you see what i mean it doesn't belong to the premier league it belongs to the 20 clubs in the premier league between them that that's right i mean in terms of the first of your questions richard masters uh, he earned uh, just over 1.8 million um, last year, that's you know, less than quite a few of the chief executives of individual clubs are concerned. So it's you know, it, it's it's a fair rate. Um, I think Richard Scudamore perhaps was on a wee bit more. Uh, and Richard Scudamore, of course, got a famous five million pound payoff for the Premier League for for not joining a broadcasting company and, and being on the opposite side of the table, knowing the ins and outs of how the Premier League work. And also, you know, Richard Masters, I don't think he's covered himself in glory 
in relation to the way he presented in front of the government panel. But at the same time, his job has got increasingly harder because it used to be the big six versus the other 14 clubs. And what we've now got is faction after faction and interest group after interest group forming and reforming. So the clubs are increasingly difficult to corral and point in the same direction, um, which might be an easier task for the regulator because the regulator can say, we don't need 14 votes from you. This is how it's going to be. Um, and and that's, that's another reason why there's opposition from the Premier League, because they like falling out with each other. Yeah, they, they, they're definitely not getting on. In terms of that £1 billion, pounds, you're absolutely right. It, it does belong to the clubs. And um, the Premier League could already distribute it £800 million, um, excluding that £1 billion. They'd already uh, distributed £800 million to clubs by the 31st of July, um, and that's come from Sky and TNT Sports and the other broadcasters who have paid uh, up up front and paid in advance for uh, season 23-24 broadcasting rights. So uh, there's there's a lot more money to slosh around. But you know, again, looking at those numbers, overall, the Premier League's income increased by over £300 million in a year. And yet they're not even prepared to give 88 to the 72 clubs in 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 sort of more pressing circumstances. Um, so it, it doesn't look very uh, collegiate, I think is the word I would use. You, know, we, you and I both know that at some point in time, our clubs are going to be back in the championship, if not worse. You know, and we're going to potentially need a, a smoother transition than what we have at present. Um, and I, and you know, I'm not saying that our clubs are ones who have been awkward about this, but I don't think some of the clubs are taking a holistic view. They'd say that's pure self-interest being driven on occasion, and that's not in the best interests of football. Yeah, unfortunately, Kieran, of our two clubs, I think one may be looking at the championship sooner than the other. Um, it's interesting. There's been a couple of noises this week from uh, unnamed Premier League sources in various papers who are saying what we've said for well, well, you know, the the EFL have got nothing to negotiate with, mm. so they will take they will take what we give them at a time when we decide to give it to them. Yes, yeah. Um, we'll just wait till you're relegated and then see how it, then see how you feel. This next story, Kieran, I, I flagged this on the questions pod, saying that we would deal with this in greater detail today, expecting it to have become a far bigger story than it than it actually did. We've we've been talking a lot about um, multi club organisations recently and transfers within them, and, and and I thought this Premier League uh, rule change was quite a big news story, but it, it seems that most of the media didn't agree with me, Kieran. I think most of the media have got it wrong. Um, it's not a sexy story and it doesn't involve Manchester United. (laughs) So therefore, you know, let's let's look at something else. Um, So this is in relation to associated party transactions. So, you know, it it sounds pretty dull. 
Yeah, it sounds as if it's not going to be um, a barrel of laughs, but it does have huge implications as far as the game is concerned going forwards because you've rightly raised the issue of multi-club ownership and we've just been talking about factions within the game. Well, you know, part of that factionalization has been the split between those clubs who are part of an MCO and others. So in respect of the rules which have now been agreed, the Premier League clubs couldn't come to an agreement in uh, November. And sort of reading between the lines, it looks as if some of the clubs um, were nervous about voting against the uh, this current status quo because they feared that they might be on the receiving ends of lawsuits on an individual basis. That has now, by all accounts, been dealt with. So the reason why MCOs are important is that if you're going to have financial fair play or whatever they're going to choose to call it, and it, it clearly does appear that the club's are going to go ahead with some form of cost control, then it's got to operate on an even keel. And what we have is the potential to manipulate revenues by signing sponsorship deals with very friendly parties at above market rates. And there's the opportunity to manipulate costs as well in terms of um, you can park costs in those parts of the MCO where there is no financial fair play. So you can dump your costs elsewhere. So, so that that is hijinks as far as FFP is concerned. And yeah, ultimately, it's for the accountants and the lawyers to sort out. But in the meantime, matches are being won and lost. And the, the integrity, we, we, we've spoken about this at the start of August each season, you know, we think we could do a Leicester. But the more that the wealth in the Premier League becomes skewed towards fewer and fewer, and the ability of people to to, to hoover up talent becomes, then that particular issue of integrity becomes more and more tainted. So what was interesting is you have to have a two-thirds majority in uh, a Premier League vote. And we've always said historically, that means you need 14 out of 20. But this wasn't that case because two clubs abstained and it went through 12 in favour of the changes, six against, so that is two thirds of those who voted, and two clubs abstained who are believed to be, and, and the Premier League is saying nothing, and clubs who are normally quite friendly with journalists are saying nothing. But the word on the street is that it was Palace and Aston Villa who abstained from this particular vote. Now, why would that be the case? Well, in the case of Palace, you've got John Texter, who is part of an MCO. We've got the Villa owners who had that investment in the Portuguese club, which they've had to give up, and they weren't very happy about it. So, But they didn't want to give the likes of Newcastle, the opportunity to effectively say, right, well, then it hasn't been passed, so therefore we're going to sign players left, right and centre, shift them to Saudi, bring them back um, at, a, at a bargain price and, and keep within FFP. I'm not saying they were going to do that anyway, but 
the scope to do that would have been there. And there's no, nobody trusts anybody as far as the Premier League is concerned. So there's suspicion and rancor and uh, similar uh, bad vibes uh, you know, inhabiting Premier League towers at present. So, so that's where we are. So the rules are that you, you are going to be subject to scrutiny if you have any transactions with sponsors who are linked to the owners, if you uh, are going to sell clubs and you're in with, within that same umbrella organisation and so on. So it's going to make it more difficult for uh, clubs to pay play hard and loose with the rules. And we'll be coming back to Newcastle and the multi-club ownership model in a while, Kieran. But in the meantime... I was I was really really looking forward to the Premier League summer series tour, whatever it is. I, I'm hazy on the details of what it was, but I was really looking forward to it. So, please, Kieran, break break this news to me gently, would you? Well, I'm just glad you are sitting down and and you've managed to take your levels of excitement down with a bottle of wine because. <laughs> um, <laughs> The summer series, which was going, it's supposed to be year two of the summer series, there ain't going to be a year two. You know, it's, it's a bit like having a, a blockbuster sitcom, which everybody says they loved, and they go, actually, it wasn't that good after all. So for people unfamiliar, last summer, um, the Premier League says, we're going to have sort of a mini competition involving, I think it was five Premier League clubs. So there was Chelsea, Newcastle, Villa, Brentford and Brighton. And they're going to play three matches each um, at various places in the States. And it was all part of extending brand Premier League. And you'd be able to you know, interact. And I mean, the, 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 the crowds, I think, were, were very mixed. So I, I went to one of those matches. Uh, so I, w- I went to see Chelsea versus Brighton in Philadelphia. And it was probably about 80% full. And you were paying silly prices for tickets. So, you know, they, they would have taken a fair amount. And we've got to be honest, um, you know, Chelsea are a big draw. Chelsea was probably the biggest draw of those five clubs. And also they've got the historic links with what Pulisic, um, who, who is sort of the American poster boy as far as football is concerned. Um, I think some of the attendances for the other matches were below expectation. I think levels of sales of merchandise and so on didn't meet expectations either, although I'm not quite sure how organised the clubs were with regards to that. So in an ideal world, the Premier League club would perhaps want two big hitters if they're going to have such a a competition. It's all about raising profile, but Manchester United and Liverpool and, and Arsenal and Spurs, they're saying, well, we've got our own tours of the United States lined up. And we're getting a fortune in terms of appearance fees. So therefore, we don't want to be part of your little competition. And as a result of that, and I think Spurs are going to Asia anyway, rather than the States. Um, so as a result of that, the Premier League just said, we're not getting enough interest from promoters. Um, we don't want to take any more financial risk ourselves. And therefore, this experiment is being um, put in a cryogenic freezer uh, so, that, so it's not it's not dead, but it might need a lot of warming up in due course. Yeah, Spurs make an absolute shedload out of their annual preseason tour to Southeast Asia, partly because it's not paid for by them. There's shirt sponsors 
pay for most of it, uh, and then they earn a lot of money while they're there. I do feel sorry, though, for some poor sod in America who bought 5,000 giant Brentford sponge hands <laughs> and is now still sitting them in his lockup somewhere in Philadelphia. <laughs> How's he going to remodel them? Um, our last Premier League story, Kieran, you mentioned the fact that they're sitting on £1 billion worth of reserves, but it, it looks like they might be loaning £20 million of that. To, uh, to have, this, I think this is a really interesting story, Kieran. Yes, this is um, to the the NUCO, and this NUCO is in relation to women's football, and, and nobody seems to be naming this company as such. Um, but the the women's game has challenges, and, and I was I was talking to uh, a coach in in relation to a WSL club earlier today on a on a separate issue, and yeah, we were saying how many clubs can the women's game actually play with yeah because it's not as embedded as it is in culture in the boys game um you've got the premier league clubs all have their academies which hoover up huge numbers of of young players that's not happening in in the women's game and that's why is that it comes down to money we've seen clubs such as manchester city and chelsea have huge uh, academy environments created because those players, they never go to play for Manchester City or, or Chelsea, but they're selling them. You know, Manchester City sold players for about 40 million quid to Southampton, who nobody had ever heard of. They never even got near the, the, the City first team. So they're, they're starting to use talent as as a factory farm. And, and that's that's a separate discussion as to the uh, the ethics and the merits of that. But in the women's game, We've seen this week the the record price for a women footballer go to five hundred thousand, which is which is itself is an achievement in terms of the direction of the game. But twenty four clubs is where we are at present, um, and what the Premier League has said is: here is twenty million pounds. What we want to do is to develop the commercialisation of women's football. So it's given a loan. And yeah, you know, my view is, you know, why not give a grant instead of a loan? But yeah, you know, that that's a separate issue. But it's not going to have to be repaid until the collective revenues of the WSL and the Women's Championship reach a hundred million pounds. Now, at present, it's probably only about thirty to forty million pounds. So there's there's a lot of growth that has to be achieved. I, it looks as if this loan is interest free as well. So. I think here the Premier League has, has sort has got it right-ish. It's it's giving the women's game a boost. You've got to spend the money wisely. Um, you know, there's there'll be lots of people with uh, uh, you know, with red braces and revolving bow ties from the from the marketing industry saying, "Oh, this is not this is a chance for 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 us to get involved and us to advise." But we've got to, as far as the WSL is concerned, attendances are going up. Viewing figures are heading in the right direction as well, but it's coming from a low base. Arsenal have been getting 40,000, 45,000 coming to some matches, but then you look at other matches involving the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City, who are you know two of the leading clubs in the WSL, and they're around about the you know about 3,000, 4,000, which is it's very, very hit and miss. So, how do we get a, an audience that wants to come back? Um, how do we attract people? Because Chelsea are playing at Kings Meadow, Manchester City aren't playing at the Etihad. 
um, Manchester United not paying at Old Trafford, apart from perhaps once or twice a season. How, how do we grow the game? So this money, in theory, is sort of going to be used as an incubator to try to knock heads together and increase the marketing side of the, the WSL. I don't go to a lot of business meetings, Kieran, but I'm not sure how much confidence I would have if one of them was chaired by somebody with a revolving bow tie. Well, that, that's, that's, that's you, you need to be hanging out with the marketing kids, Kevin. <laughs> <coughs> well, also talking of confidence, Kieran, I mean, you know, the, the clues in the name, this is, is, this is the early months of the, the new business that's running professional women's football in England. And I don't know whether it's a sign of confidence or a sign of worry that already the Premier League are loaning them £20 million. Well, they, they need seed capital from somewhere. So if it starts to come from individual clubs, then Nuco is sort of beholden to those individual clubs. So, But coming from the Premier League as a whole, let's, let's face it, the EFL doesn't have the money. And again, you know, sort of being cynical, oh, yeah, the Premier League's managed to find £20 million down the back of a sofa. Why are you still weaseling out of what you were promising to the EFL six months ago? But yeah, that, that's separate discussion and separate squabbles. Um, there's an element of self-interest, a successful women's game, wherever that success can be measured. And it shouldn't be measured against the Premier League. And I think that's the big, that's the big mistake. I think you measure it against other sports, but not the, the Premier League is... Is, is the cuckoo which is in the nest of all sport as far as this country is concerned. Yeah, I mean, Claire Balding, Gabby Logan have always said that. You, you measure it against rugby league, you mm. measure it against athletics and the broadcasting deals they get. And if you start to measure anything against the Premier League and you're, you're going to lose that battle. The EFL may not have as much money as the Premier League, Kieran, but they're looking to um, change that situation. I don't know whether the status of, of revolving bow ties is in EFL meetings, but uh, they're in they're in talks with with big people. Yes, so um, by all accounts, they're in touch with two um, marketing agencies whose name I've forgotten offhand. Uh, with regards to the EFL's international rights, and, and the reason why that's important is that they're not yeah they're not huge. Um, you know, the Premier League has a deal, which is, I think it's £119 million a year, um, but it's moving to a slightly more generous one. But the international rights are only worth £26 million. Now, I think we have to be realistic here in terms of international viewers, like domestic viewers, have a, have a limited number of eyeballs. They've got a limited amount of time at the weekend. And... If it is Liverpool versus Manchester City, if it is Chelsea versus Arsenal, um, those are going to attract big audiences. If it's uh, Sutton United versus Harrogate Town, there is a very limited audience. But it only makes £26 million a year in terms of international rights. And to put that into context, for every £1 that the EFL is generating... The Premier League is generating sixty-five. So yeah, you know, so it's a you know, so if it's a, you know, if you've got two people operating, if I'm earning a thousand pounds a week, somebody else is earning sixty-five thousand pounds a week. I'm going, yeah, that that's a gap, uh, and yeah, that's that's bigger than the gap that we've got between the Premier League and the EFL in terms of parachutes and so on. Yeah, that that's that's big enough gap, but this is this is huge. So 
I've I've said I've got I've got friends who support clubs who are down the wrong end of the Premier League and they're going, how are we going to cope next season? And I'm saying you're going to see more matches. You're going to go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You look, you've got that to look forward to. So if you crap on a Saturday, you can recover it on the Tuesday and you will win a lot more matches and you'll enjoy football a lot more in the championship. And yes, they won't be so glamorous, but you still got some very, you know, some very big clubs in the championship. So it's not doom and gloom. It's a fantastic product. Um, it's it's great football to watch. So can we attract an international audience with that? I think that's going to be very challenging because you know clubs like ours, when we're in the Premier League, we struggle to get an international following. You go down a division when you're not up against those glamorous teams. Yeah, you, you can see the challenges as far as th- these people who are trying to sell the rights are concerned. But there's there's nothing lost lost from you know engaging with a with an organisation who's going to try to do that on your behalf and see how far they get. Yeah, uh, that, that's me leaving a dignified silence there, Kieran. Because to be perfectly honest, I don't want to engage with the AFL. They're very nice people, but I'd rather keep them at arm's length. If that's all right, just for various, for various reasons, I'm not at home to those people in the Porsons arms. Go, yeah, it'd be fun. We'll have a season in the championship, bounce straight back. I'm not, I'm not having that, Kieran. I just, okay. we can do another pod about why we haven't sacked our manager, but I think you know my views on this. And just to enlighten you, Kieran, the two agencies at the EFL are having talks with are called Pitch International mm-hmm. and the Relevant Sports Group. Uh, I'm sure producer guy would like us to say that other agencies are available. Actually, um, quite big news from Serie A, Kieran, or it would have been had it not been voted against. Yes. So there was a vote taken in Italy with a view to reducing the size of Serie A from 20 to 18 teams. Um, and that was rejected comprehensively, 16 to 4. It will come as no great surprise that the four clubs who wanted it were Juve, Roma, uh, Milan, and Internazionale, um, who are, funnily enough, the four sides who are most likely (laughs) to be in the expanded (laughs) Champions League. And there's now, we've already seen, there are issues in trying to fit everything in. So, again, self-interest comes to the fore. What these four clubs have said we want to play more matches and we want you to have four matches less in a season, um, which, of course, increases the gaps between rich and poor. It's motivated by self-interest. The smaller clubs are motivated by self-interest. And you know, I'm sure if this, this vote was taking place in the Premier League, would you or I want there to be a 20 or an 18 team Premier League? We'd want it to be 20 because... 24. I don't want to, I, I don't want to sacrifice. 24. <laughs> 24. <laughs> I don't want to lose four fixtures this yeah. season. You know, who, how, how does that benefit? And you and you get these people, you know, the people who are in favour of Project Big Picture and saying, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know, stuff the fans of Villa and Newcastle and Brighton and Palace and Bradford and so on. Um, it's all about the sneaky six. But, you know, making the rich richer is, is a philosophy of some that uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily in favour of. Talking of Italy, Kieran, uh, just as uh, we've welcomed a new addition to our stable with the price of music recently, very, very good pod, uh, Newcastle United fans will be welcoming 
uh, an Italian club to their stable, by the look of things. Uh, or will they? Oh, okay. Well, because this club is Roma. Yeah. Who we've just been talking about, who are in favour of a smaller um, Serie A, because they they are pretty, you know, pretty regular uh, successors in in terms of being one of the, the leading clubs in Italy. So there is currently a seven hundred and sixty eight million pound bid. I think it's one point one billion dollars. Um, a from PIF, so clearly linked to Newcastle. Secondly, a private investor who we think is from Saudi called Turkey uh, Al Al Sheikh. Um, if it's acquired by PIF, somebody's got to be top dog in a multi club model. Now, Newcastle fans would want that top dog to be Newcastle United, and you can absolutely understand why. But Roma themselves are, you know, are a big hitter as far as Italian football is concerned. So there would be problems there. What happens if both Roma and Newcastle United qualify for the Champions League? We've seen the issues with Aston Villa and Brighton having to get rid of their investments. So um, it could be a bit of a problem unless UEFA say actually multi-club ownership models we don't care about them anybody can play everybody else um you know, my my personal view is have a workaround in respect of this if you're part of an mco just as though you just you, know, you cannot have two clubs from england in a group in the champions league you cannot have two clubs from italy well why not say you cannot have two clubs from the mco as far as the group stages is concerned, and then you can't have you know the the famous Austria and Germany set, you know, uh, set up that we that we always refer back to. When it gets to the knockout phase, Newcastle fans are going to be wanting Newcastle to win their matches against Roma, and Roma fans will be wanting their team to win. So you can see that that problem could potentially disappear. So yes, it lay, it adds a layer of complexity into the Champions League draw, but it's complicated enough as it is. So, you know, another minor issue. So that would be, I think, one workaround which could deal with it. And that way we we can still have, um, you know, MCOs because with expanded competitions, the chances of this happening is going to increase um, as we go forwards. I mean, it it does seem... I mean, there there are enough conspiracy theories in the world, Kieran, as it is about adding to them. But the way MCOs are going, it's inevitable that UEFA will have to come to terms with the fact that that this is going to happen. When when PIF first bought Newcastle, Kieran, did they indicate that Newcastle would be the first of many? Or was it kind of inevitable that PIF would want to buy other clubs around the world? I, I think they've looked at the Manchester City or the City Football Group model, which which has been beneficial. And they say, well, if it's worked for Abu Dhabi, it could potentially work for us. And in terms of the City Football Group, what, eight, 12 clubs all around the world, um, the ability to offer the same front of shirt sponsors to different TV stations around the world, you know, there, there are certainly synergistic benefits um, so I suspect that PIF 
Yet they own four clubs in Saudi Arabia themselves, owning uh, a stable of clubs um, in Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, and so on. Uh, makes logical sense to follow up on that. Yeah. Kieran, I can't believe I'm actually reading out this next story because it, it <laughs> seems, I don't, I don't know how this could possibly have happened, but it seems that Barcelona, Barcelona, Kieran, of all clubs, have apparently made a monumental financial cock-up. Uh, stroke, I'm not going to say anything else in case I get into trouble with, <laughs> I don't know what the Spanish is for silver tongue friends, but it, I, it seems, Kieran, that Barcelona, from, from where, I do not know, may have to, f- to find some money to pay a fine for this accidental cock-up. Yes. Um, Barcelona have been investigated by the Spanish tax authorities. <laughs> and on the back of that, they said, we want 23 million euro. So they must, they must have their own department. They must have the Barcelona office, surely. <laughs> just, they just, why don't you just spend every month, just send them a random amount of money that they think they owe? <laughs> well, I think that's probably what they have been doing, which is why <laughs> they've ended up in this situation. Um, so... They'll find some more economic levers, no doubt. Um, sell off some more of the family silver, um, and it's you know it's it's the equivalent of privatisation, and that's worked spectacularly well, hasn't it, in this country? So, yeah, that's what Barcelona is doing: privatising the the Socios-owned club. Um, th- this is in relation to agents' fees, and Barcelona have said in respect of agents' fees. The agent has just been working on behalf of us um, and therefore there's no tax implications as far as players are concerned. And the tax authorities are going to say, well, hold on, you've just signed a contract with a player. The player has also asked the agent to negotiate the contract on their behalf. So surely the agent is working for the player as well, in which case if Barcelona are paying those fees that becomes a benefiting kind. It's a bit like having a company car or the com- or private health insurance or the company pays for your gym membership and you have to go and pay tax on that. Um, so because Barcelona going, no, 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 you, you don't understand the tax law. Um, Barcelona don't seem to understand quite a few things. Um, uh, tax law would appear to be one of them. Um, the tax authorities have said, we're not going to have that. And uh, this goes back to 2012-15. So A, we want a load of tax. And B, we're going to charge you interest because that should have been paid many years ago. So, um, yes, uh, it it never rains, but it pours um, in Barcelona, apparently. Do you think Barcelona maybe need to take a look at their recruitment policy when it comes to high-ranking financial officers, Kieran? (laughs) Maybe they should have a a bit of a clear out, get some new staff in. You might understand how how these things work. I think the last one they recruited was a guy called Manuel that used to work in a hotel in Devon. <laughs> we have been covering, Kieran, um, uh, I, 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 shenanigans is not the right word, but we, we've been covering UEFA political machinations in the past few weeks, Kieran. Uh, and I can only conclude at the end of which that Alexander Seferin has been playing silly buggers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Alexander Seferin uh, became the president 
of UEFA in 2016. And he was concerned, or he said he was concerned, of the fear of life presidents. Now, we have seen in countries where there have been elections that uh, yeah, and we've got you know, in the United States, for example, you're not allowed to be a president for more than two terms. Although I suspect I know somebody that's going to try and change that over the course of the next few years um, if they get back in power. And therefore, um, when he became president, he says, I'm going to deal with this by introducing into UEFA statute that somebody can hold no more than three terms. And people said, we quite like that idea. Yeah, yeah we, we've seen uh, in too many countries, uh, yeah, Russia, for example, what happens when somebody gets hold of power and they, they're going to cling on to that power forever and a day. And that's not necessarily in the best interests of the world or World War III. Um, so he did this. And then he said, these rules are coming in in 2017, which means that I was elected in 2016, so my first term doesn't count. And people go, hold on, that's a bit naughty. Um, so the, there was an opposition from a potential rival to him who resigned from the UEFA uh, board, and Seferin then called him all the names under the sun. Um, it went to a vote. And the only country that voted against Seferin was the English FA. So I think you had green cards and red cards to show. So for me, who was colorblind, I wouldn't have had a fucking clue. You know, I'd have been, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I go, oh, I've got no idea what's going on here. But um, <laughs> the red card was shown by, by Mark Bullingham, who was the FA representative. And then he looked around and there's 54 other people showing green cards. And he's going... I'm going to get such a kicking for the next few years. Yeah, we, we, it's going to be the equivalent of Eurovision, isn't it? As as far as any favours given to the FA are concerned. Um, so so Seferin got his way, um, and then he paid his Mastercard. He says, "Right, well, you know, that that is the rule." Oh, by the way, I'm not going to stand for election in 2027. Or is he? Because is it going to be now a case of? Well, I wasn't going to stand in 2027, but my people want me. I've got so many people saying to me, Alexander, you've been such a fantastic president. Please change your mind. So watch this space. But it, it, it is, if, if you... If, if you watch, you know, some if you watch Succession or or programs like that, you know, which were very very sneaky. Um, this is this has got nothing on on UEFA and, and its politics. Do you know, Kieran? Twice during this pod, I've, I've had to really fight the urge not to swear, and then there you go, like a little potty mouthed Valentine's night. You little you can take the boy out of Ireland, but you. <laughs> um, talking of cards, I wish I'd, uh, in the same way that you always bet on the opposition team, Kieran. I wish I'd put a little spread bet on with somebody that the amount of times commentators over the weekend would mention the blue card. Every single game I watched or listened to, they couldn't wait for an opportunity to crowbar it. Well, that would be a blue card, wouldn't it? Uh, well, which is, uh, I, I kept thinking, well, I wonder if Kieran can actually see that one. It's dark, <clears> I can, yeah. Oh, you yeah, can see it? Yeah, okay, yeah, it's dark blue, yeah. It's, it's all yeah. it's all grayscale, if you, if you colour blind. Ah, uh, so. okay. Well, if, blue, if you choose dark blue's fine. 
if producer guys listening, let's, uh, I'm going to suggest a special pod where I can discuss the 38 reasons I've got why it's a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, I nearly swore then, but you'd already swore it, so you took the words. Um, Kieran, before we, we're going to end our show with a little musical montage, in a way. But before that, this uh, pre-penultimate story, uh, it's been a volatile time for Blackburn fans in the last Mm. few weeks and months. But this story is one that I can really relate to, because this story, doesn't matter who's in charge of your club or who's managing your club, there will be people all over Lancashire in in blue and white shirts, just slapping their foreheads gay. That can only happen to us. What the... <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> literally. Because unfortunately, they, they tried to bring a lone player in, but it, it, it defeated them. <laughs> yes, yes. And we're probably not in a position to talk about mocking people for lack of technological <laughs> skills, given, oh, given right. this podcast. Has, has, we've had to put it together in six separate installments, <laughs> such as my inability to get the Wi-Fi working in my hotel. Um, but this is in respect of Duncan Maguire, who is the player based in the United States. And he, and he phoned across, and initially I think he was in talks to go to Sheffield Wednesday, and that broke down. And then there was a deal taking place with Blackburn Rovers. And uh, everything had been agreed. And he was looking forward to becoming a Rover. And uh, somebody at Blackburn, we don't, we don't know who, and we're not pointing fingers because I say we're not in a position to point fingers, um, got the documentation, put it together, stuck it on an email, and pressed save rather than send. And therefore, it missed the deadline, and the EFL said, you're Egypt's. <laughs> and we, you know, there's nothing in our statute. There isn't an Egypt exemption clause. So therefore, yeah, and it's not fair on the player either. It's not it's, fair, it's, but there, there should be an Egypt exemption clause, Kieran. <laughs> yes. Just as Bobby Numbers pulled off a spectacular stroke many years ago, when, and he told me this afterwards, he said, I phoned up the tax people, and I explained that you were a numpty and you had no idea what you were doing. And they went, yeah, we've got that impression from dealing with him ourselves. So, all right. Well, <laughs> I've got a feeling that's a card he's been playing every year since. There should be every club. Blackburn should be able to say, look, Trevor Birch, it was Terry. And Trevor Birch should look up his little spreadsheet and go, Blackburn, Ter- oh, Terry, well, right, fair enough. You, you should be able to play one card. Where you can exactly. go. It's just because, like you say, it's it, it is a funny story, but not if they get relegated by one point or if mm. of you know this is a player that might have prevented that happening. The poor sod who, who who did it as well. It must have been awful when they. Oh, yeah, there should be ways around. It. But anyway, let, Kira, let's have our little musical montage to end the show with. Now, I imagine. You're far more immersed in the world of modern music than I am. So I should think that the uh, Welsh heavy metal reggae recently Mobo nominated band Skindred are closer to your... Uh, I, I haven't got a shuffle with my, my iPhone. I've got a record player. But, um, I'm, I'm sure they're a name that means more to you than me. But I, I particularly like this story. And I'm also really pleased that this story came to us via a listener. Uh, we're yes. always interested in the links between music and football, and I particularly like this one. Yes, Skindred. Um, I wouldn't recommend this 
group for Valentine's night. <laughs> yeah, um, as, as you as you rightly said, they are a metal reggae crossover. Um, they originally signed to the Napalm label, which instantly <laughs> makes me like them even more. And they've, they've been going for 25 years as well. Yeah, know, so so fair play to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they've they've done what many bands have done. You know, football clubs are, are in dire straits. So I bring you North Newport Corinthians and Skindred are a proud Welsh band and, and much power to their elbow for that. So they've gone and sponsored the away kit of uh, Newport Corinthians. And... You know, sort of, you know, facetiousness aside, it it can uh, benefit all parties, increases the profile of the band a wee bit. You know, we we had what was it was it Mark Ashton from Ipswich telling us about the sales of of shirts, you know, lit with the link to Ed Sheeran and so on. Um, and it's it's putting a little bit of money in into amateur football, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, give them a listen, give them a listen, gang. You know, if if you're uh, you're pricing the football out, and you've 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 listened to us, and you've listened to the price of music, and you're saying, "I need I need to stretch my 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 bandwidth in terms of the type of music." And Welsh reggae heavy metal is the way forward, if you ask me. So fair play to Skindred, fair play to Newport Corinthians. Um, also, in terms of away shirts. Uh, I'll just sort of throw into the mix Bohemian's latest away shirt, Thin Lizzy. And really? So, yeah, Thin, Thin Lizzy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm tempted. Though, if the Baroness is listening to the show, no, I won't go and buy it. Is that, um, is that a sponsor or a size? <laughs> no, it's 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 a sponsor. Oh, um, they've so so I, I've got a Bo's shirt uh, because I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Fontaine's DC, and it looks yeah. as if they're going to sort of have a, an annual uh, band uh, tie-up, which which is good because music fans will buy into this. Yes, I see. I love, yeah, I, I'm sure our listeners won't mind us discussing this, Kieran, because we have discussed the links between music and football before. I love bands that have been going around for 25 years. I used to love the UK subs who had been playing in pubs in Tooting for 10 years before they got anywhere near top of the pops with CID which I've still got on uh, brown vinyl somewhere. And I love the fact that if, if the UK subs had ever sponsored a club, it would have been Tooting and Mitchell. Yeah. You know? so, and also, I just love the idea that I imagine many Newport Corinthians fans will spend the, the afternoon watching the team and then go and watch Skindred in the evening. I love that. But our, our last musical story, Kieran, is probably more anodyne in terms of music, Uh cut to hundreds of angry treats and unexpected Westlife fans among others as well. But it, 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 I mean, this could be big news, Kieran, because, you know, Robbie Williams has been linked with Port Vale. Mm. Westlife, it seems, possibly with Boyzone, are going to buy Chorley FC, but whether or not it happens, they've already been talking a good fight about what they wear, where they want to take Chorley in the table. They they have. Uh, I think they were spotted in Chorley. Um, Chorley is a is a fine Lancashire town, um, and uh, how this has come about, I've still not managed to delve into it. Uh, Chorley lost quite a considerable sum of money in in the last set of accounts. So uh, you know, Westlife they they might have to do a tour or two to 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 fund the club to to take it and get it into uh, the higher echelons of football. But but fair play to them, you know. It is all 
football is entertainment music music is entertainment and you know as you know we are both men of a certain age we both love music and we both love football because they've given us so many great memories on an individual and collective basis you know uk subs and me with the piranhas and you know local bands and so on um and and that's that's great and and here why westlife are coming across from the emerald isle to go to chorley i don't know but go for it yeah, that's, I mean, just to be fair, we're both more likely to wear a Newport Corinthian shirt with skin dread on it than a Chorley. But I mean, Westlife and Boys Own are lovely boys. I've I've met all of them. Don't ask me to pick any of them out from a ID parade. As <laughs> to be perfectly honest, once you've worked with one Irish boy band, Kieran, you've worked with them all. Uh, don't, get me start- <laughs> don't get me started on Jedward. Oh, pair of little anyway. So you've already used up the swear word. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. and It'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you'd like to buy our book or get yourself a Price of Football T-shirt, you can go to the same website. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with our questions pod. Apologies if there are one or two little uh, clanks on the on the recording tonight. We did have some issues. Uh, in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you for everybody that supports us via Patreon. And uh, if, you, if you're on the second tier or above, that does give you an advert-free show, if, if that's what you want. Um, but I know people were just generous football stop which we're very grateful there's a variety of ways of supporting the show as you know and one of those is to give us a review and i always look at the reviews and there's been many many suggestions um <laughs> most of which appear to involve uh the reading owner die younger and and a series of very angry animals um I, I won't go down that particularly you can say you can say whatever you want you could even say you would rather the show presented by ronan keating and Casey Jones, a steaming and a rolling um, from that that fantastic show of the nineteen sixties that we watched at kids every single uh, every single holidays because there was nothing on the television apart from repeats of the Magic Ringing Tree and Casey Jones, the Cannibal Express, the Cannibal Express indeed, tooting and a rolling Casey yeah. Jones. You know the Magic Singing Ringing Tree was terrifying. It was, but Jesus, guys. I mean, it, people talk about the sixties as a wonderful decade, but if you had a choice between an elderly, overweight steam train driver and a singing ringing tree, I'm afraid it was the elderly, <laughs> overweight driver in time. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Some football.